Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you are all here today. This is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and this is one of God's true churches, Gospel Saving Church of these last days. I hope you guys came here to be uh, taught the Word of God and not entertained, for I'm not an entertainer. I'm not a I'm not an actor in a movies. I don't try to make people feel good. I mean, if the scripture has some feel-good stuff in it, then we're going to feel good. If the scripture has some hardcore stuff in it, we're going to get some hardcore because I teach the whole counsel of God. I teach verse by verse through every single book of the Bible, and that'll be important as I continue to go on for our context of our section of scripture that we're in today. So if you guys would please join me in a word of prayer. We always have to ask God to help us understand His Word, for we know the Word says that it's only by the Holy Spirit of God by which anyone can understand the things of God. So, Lord, Lord, we come to you in obedience for your Word, Lord God, for that's what Christians do, Lord God. That's what real Christians do, dear God. We obey your Word, and we do the things which you tell us to do. So, Lord, we uh, we thank you for what we've got today, Lord, the, the, the Word of yours that we have today, Lord, that we get to study, Lord. We, we just ask and pray that you would please, Lord God, help us to understand the things that you have to tell us today. Help us to understand the many facets and many levels to the things that you have to tell us today, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, that people, that whoever's listening, Lord God, all over the world, wherever they may be, Lord God, that they wouldn't just be a hearer of what we talk about today, but a doer. So, Lord, we, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. We ask that you to reveal these things to us, Lord God, the secret things Lord God, of you, Lord God, the things that they're not really secret, Lord God, but they're they're so deep and they're hidden in your word, Lord, and we, we just pray that you'd reveal those things to us, Lord God, today and, and teach us more about you and, and, and more about your word. We love you and praise you and thank you, and we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. So I've got a lot to talk about today. I do, that is true, and, uh, and I actually have a very little amount to speak about as we're only going to study one verse today. That's right, Acts 11.26, one verse today. And you can turn to Acts 11.26 if you'd like to, but I won't read it or teach it until after my thoughts of last week's message, the rays of sunshine. Last week we read of some wonderful disciples of Christ, our rays of sunshine, right, from a couple of Greek cities who went into Antioch and decided out of love to preach the gospel, to preach Jesus Christ to a group of people that had been outcasts. They were, that group of people was called the Hellenists, whom the traditional Jews, even the traditional Christian Jews, didn't preach Jesus Christ to them. So had a, they had a prejudice and were bigoted against the Hellenists because they did not keep their ancient Jewish heritage and their Hebrew language. Of course, that's why they were being bigoted against. Now, I can understand the non-traditional Jews having bigot, big, you know, being bigoted against any person because the Bible says that when you're not saved, you're basically under the yoke of the devil. You're led by the world. You're, that Satan it kind of rules you. You're, you're lost, and then that's just what people do. And I'm not condoning what they did and how they bigoted them, but I am saying this is, that's just what, how lost people are. And not including our Christian rays of sunshine in this now, because remember, they did they weren't bigoted. They went into Antioch and they preached to the Hellenists, even though the Jews had out, you know, cast off the Hellenists. But what about the Christian Jews that went there and only preached to the Jews, right? Remember, they didn't preach Jesus Christ to the Hellenists because they were being bigots, right? Were they right in God's eyes for doing what they did? No. This was sin for them to exclude the Hellenists like they did. Jesus Christ died and his sacrifice was for all mankind. Same as the Apostle Paul, who is Saul, we'll read about now, he's going to get a name change pretty soon here. In Romans 5.18, the Bible says this, Therefore, as as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men. Who? All men? By his righteous act, came, this, the free gift came to who? Some men? No, wait, only the elect men. No, no, Paul says to all men, resulting in justification of life. So did they know this truth at the time they held these bigotries? Did they know it? No, they didn't know it. Now, God would have been speaking to their conscience about it, but of course it wouldn't have been written down, and of course they might have just, you know, they obviously just went on with whatever God's, whatever they thought 
was God's word and what they had been taught before. Uh, but, 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 I'm sure God gave them some grace and gave them plenty of time to repent. And I'm sure they did once they knew, especially uh, when the gospels were written and when Paul's writings came out and they destroyed the idea of excluding anyone from eternal life offered in Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm sure they repented and they started preaching to all. But what about us today? What about us today? Those Christians today, should, should any Christian exclude any person from the gospel and hold back eternal life in Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. There's no excuses. We have the whole counsel of God. We've got the mistakes that they made in Scripture. We've got the corrections that Jesus Christ gave them. We've got the corrections that the apostles gave these guys. We've got everything. Every follower of Jesus Christ should go to anyone, anywhere, and at any time to tell anybody and everybody about Jesus Christ. For, for again, Scripture is rich and full of the idea of go and preach the gospel to all doesn't matter to all. And if I could give you one scripture outside Romans 5.18 that would emulate this, like as much as any other scripture in the whole New Testament, I want to give you just one, just one from the master. God put this one on my heart and I kind of saw it in a new light. And I'm sure I'd read this before, but just, just think of what Jesus says in Mark 16.15. We've all know the verse, go therefore and preach the gospel, right? You know, we all, we all have heard it so many times, but then when I looked at when I looked at it in depth, I saw this. And he said, Mark 16, 15, Jesus Christ said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. <laughs> he didn't even say type of person. He said, every creature. Who's every creature? Well, if you have all of something or every creature, that would be, I mean, Jesus is saying dogs, cats, people, birds, mice, crickets. It doesn't matter. I'm not that we should go out and preach to animals or anything like that. But if they're there and God says, hey, preach this. I remember this one story one time years ago where this guy stopped and he felt like God told him to preach down this alleyway. It was late at night and there was nobody, there was nobody awake and all the lights were off and it was pitch black. And God said, I want you to preach down this alley. And the guy's like, but Lord, all there is is not. And then this, this verse came to him. Preach the gospel to every creature. Because I think he was saying, well, Lord, there's only animals down there. So he preached the gospel. Well, it turns out some lady's window was open. And she was, I think, just about to kill herself. Because was, her life was so miserable and she hated life so much. And this guy preached the gospel because he thought he was only preaching to dogs and cats. And this lady ends up getting saved because, hey, Jesus said, go forth and preach the gospel to it every creature. So who's excluded in every creature? No one. No one's excluded. So come on, Christians. No excuses to be bigoted or prejudiced against anyone today. God will accept all who come to him through Jesus Christ and wants his message to go to any and all to give them the news of Jesus Christ. So don't hold back his eternal life from anyone. Don't hold it back from anyone. All right, let's move on. On to our new section of scripture. Um, so I'm not ashamed to say it because I actually wrestled with it kind of off and on all week long as I was studying for my sermon that we have one. Yes, that's right. One verse today. The title of our sermon, Are You a Christian? The title of our sermon, Are You a Christian? So read over Acts 11:26, and I'll read it again. But Bible says this, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the key. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Yes, you heard me right. Only one verse. Wow. And at that, we're really only going to in-depth study the very last sentence in that one verse, if you can believe it or not. So why only one verse and the same verse, in case you, if you didn't notice, the same verse that we studied last week? Well, the Lord showed me that as I went through my study last week, I missed the very last part of that last verse that we studied. And as I mentioned earlier, God tells me in this church to teach verse by verse and all the words of that verse that I cover also. But last week, God didn't touch my heart to talk in depth about one part of verse 26, so I never did that last part, that very last sentence. Look at it again. 
and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So remember our sermon last week, right? I'm just going to recap just kind of to get us up to speed here. The rays of sunshine go to Antioch, preach Jesus Christ among those who were outcast Jews, not counted as Jews at all by the traditional Jewish people, even though they were born of Jewish descent. And many of them believe and they turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? The apostles in Jerusalem hear of it. It's huge news. They send Barnabas, the great encourager, and he sees the salvation that God pours out on these outcasts and he encourages them. Then in turn, he goes and gets Saul, Paul, and they, and then that, as that last verse said, they teach the disciples, uh, these new believer Hellenists in Jesus Christ for a whole year in the church that was just planted with these people when they turn to the Lord. And then the very last part that I just talked about, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So that there's a lot of stuff here, a lot of important goods. So uh, not only does God show his kids that he is accepting non-traditional Jewish Jews, Hellenists for salvation, which obviously they didn't think he would, but he also does something monumental for them here, along with Saul of Tarsus, and who is also a newly converted Jew not too long in the faith, and Barnabas, who's been around for a little while, although he was not an apostle, he was kind of just a lower disciple. What did he do for them? What's the first major point here? He gives or grants them the honor of being the first people ever to get the title of Christian. Wow. And do you realize how huge this is. This is so huge because if you think about it, well, the scripture says they were first called Christians in Antioch, right? That means that not one person before them had been called Christians, not even one. Not even the original apostles were called Christians up until the Hellenists, these outcast Jews, that's important, were called it here in Antioch. And these Hellenists would have no idea. I mean, do you, I'm this, God was showing me this, and this, I'm, I'm just writing all this stuff this week, and I'm going, okay, Lord, when, when am I going to get on to the next verses? Because, of course, you know, one verse, I'm going to study more, but, you know, God showed me that I had to go back for this one sentence, and I'm going, all right, Lord, when, when am I going to get on and move on? And the Lord's like, yeah, hold on, hold on, I'm, I'm going to show you this first. Do you realize that they were first called Christianity? Do you think the Hellenists knew that every single follower and disciple of Christ would be called this name from now on until Jesus Christ comes back? And I was like, wow, Lord, the Hellenists? Not Peter, not John, not, you know, James, some outcast Hellenists? Wow, and then every believer or follower or disciple of Christ until he comes back would be called a Christian? These guys got that title first? What an honor. That is an honor. You, you have to see that. I, I, I saw that here. I was like, well, I was blown away. What an honor. Uh, now, there's two huge concepts to think about that come with this honor. And this is where the whole sermon is really taking place here. Uh, let's look at them because... The rest of our message rests here. Uh, number one, think about this. The Hellenists were a pretty outcast people group, right? I mean, absolutely. They, to the traditional Jew, the, 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 the Hellenists was like a cockroach. Same as the Jews today are like to all Muslims, right? The, the, the Jews, the traditional Jews thought the Hellenists were just outcasts. They didn't even consider them Jews. They were just a terrible people group, right? Yet, God gave them the first honor of the first ones that received the glorious title of Christians. We see here a principle that we read of God doing in the Bible and in his word and, and that he still practices with people today. What is that principle? The more he allows one of his kids to be abased, they end up with a tremendously great reward. Or if someone is not his and they are dreadfully abased and they turn to Christ, we get the same result. And who do we look at in Scripture? Who do we see in Scripture that that matches to? How do we see that this Hellenist group here gets the same as others? Well, I don't know. Let's talk about two of the most popular and resounding figures throughout all of Scripture. Let's think about Job. And let's think about Joseph. Wow. Let's look at what Job went through. God gave Job over to the devil. Except for he said, well, wait, don't, don't, oh, wait, I'm holding this one piece back and, and I'm holding this one piece back. And the Bible says of Job that he suffered physically. 
I mean, the Bible doesn't say this as many words, but if you read the Bible and you see all the people, the characters of the Bible, Job suffered greater than any other person physically, than any other person in the entire word of God. The Bible says that he was covered from head to toe with these like pus things that would explode and harden and crack and and on top of this for went on for who I think months on top of this his wife's telling him just curse God and live three or and then four three supposed friends you can keep your friends if you want those kind of friends three supposed friends come to him and berate him you you you're in sin like 40, 50 chapters of all nothing, but you're in sin. You're wrong. You're an evil man. That's why this has happened to you. On top of that, almost his whole family dies. He loses almost all his property. Then one of the worst things of all, I guess I can't say that putting it above people, but one of the worst things that he had happened to him was he lost respect from everybody that knew him. And he was the greatest man in all the East, the Bible says. And he lost respect from all the people that were in the city that he lived in. They looked at him like he was a dog. You know what that's like to have great honor? And then because something happens, your honor is ripped out from you? And then all of a sudden, you're a gum on the bottom of somebody's shoe? It hurts. Then to lose your whole family, all your possessions. Yet he suffered greatly. Yet the end of his life, because of what he went through, because he didn't curse God, the Bible says that he was blessed more than anybody in all the land. He was blessed. God restored everything to him and even gave him more than what he had before. Think of the hell of this. They were one of the most abased people groups in all the Bible Yet, here God gives them the great honor of getting to be able to be called Christians. The very first ones to be called Christians. And then look at Joseph. Sad, sad, sad Joseph for doing nothing wrong. And Job too, for Job was considered a righteous man by God. That's what the Word of God says. Joseph, who didn't sin either. Very righteous man. Very righteous young boy. So righteous that after this terrible thing that happened to him, happened to him, he wouldn't even sleep with one of the man's wives that was wanting him to sleep with him. He's no, I don't want to defame my God. I love my God, and my God says don't do that. And so he was a righteous man too. Yet what happened to him? He, he was a, a man that was sold into slavery by his, by his family, all because he had a dream. And, and yet while he suffered years and years and years, actually, years, 10, 15, 20 years, I think it was, I don't remember the exact number. Uh, all the while, while he was suffering, he was a slave. He was a prisoner. He, he was, uh, he, God gave him great favor where he was, but still he was away from his family and he suffered greatly. Yet, for going through all that and for not blaspheming God and for not talking bad about God and still staying true to God, what did God allow him to do? Well, at the end of his life, he basically saved the whole known world from a famine that was going to kill the majority of people on the face of the planet. What an honor. So you see, it's a principle that we see here. And then you may be saying, well, Pastor, what about the Gentiles? The Gentiles were just as abased as as the Hellenists. Well, you're right. They were. But don't you realize that Paul was a Jew, got sent to go to the Gentiles? And when he went to the Gentiles, Paul wrote over half the New Testament just for them. What an honor! Talk about an honor. I mean, you're talking about the Hebrews. They were the ones that got it first, right? Jesus said, I'm sent to the lost sheep of the children of Israel. But yet the the, the Gentiles get over half the books written to them by an apostle who was actually against Christianity to begin with in the first place when it first, you know, introduced. Come on. Again, God gives great honor to those that suffer greatly, those whom he calls, those whom accept the call. Similar to another principle, the more God uses someone, the more they're attacked. Example, look at Apostle Paul. Uh, he wrote, again, as I said, half the Bible, or half the New Testament Bible, preaching to more people than anyone else, and is still today honored pretty much by all Christians as the greatest apostle to ever live, even though he wasn't even one of the originals. He was a persecutor to begin with, yet he was attacked and persecuted more than any 
other disciple or apostle in the whole New Testament. Look at the Apostle Paul. And the more the person is attacked or abased, the greater their reward is and honor in some ways on earth after their abasement time is over and in heaven for sure when they die. Remember what Jesus Christ said in Matthew 19, 29 and 30. And everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters for or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake. So why would we lose those things? Well, we could give them up too, but we could be persecuted into giving them up too, right? Shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So we see that principle even right there. Praise God for his blessings for, you know what? One thing I see of God, even though he doesn't have to be, he's fair. God is is fair. He really is. He's the fairest being in all of creation. You look at people, people are not fair. People are rotten. People are prejudiced. People are racist. People, uh, you know, they get the they get the buddy discount. They get the brother advancement in their jobs. But God, God is fair. Now, now it's hard to be the one that's abased and use a lot and, and used a lot by God, for there's a lot of pain and suffering that goes along with it. Just look at the lives of Job and Joseph and Paul. But the end result, both in this life and the next, is way worth whatever you may have to go through now. Romans 8, 18, Paul writes this, and he would know. And when he writes this verse, he would know. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And Paul would know. He suffered so greatly, yet he saw the promise. And he said, you know what? Nah, whatever. I'm, I'm going to die someday. You know, life's tough anyway. Hey, you know what? No matter what sufferings I've got to go through now, hey, what's coming next? That's my best life then, not, not my best life now. What a huge first concept to look at. These Hellenists, heavily and terribly abased, yet God honored them with this glorious honor. If God... If God has a specific reason, understand this, for, for one of his kids to suffer and be a base, number one, it's good somehow. We don't always understand it, but it's good somehow. And number two, he always is fair and he gives great honor to that one, sometimes in this life, but always in eternity. And, and God put this section of scripture on my mind. Remember in the book of Revelation, those martyred for Christ. Remember where they got to hang out while they were waiting for the resurrection of the just and while they were waiting for God to put an end to this polluted, evil, bigoted, terrible, evil world? Revelation 6, 9 through 11. Talk about God knows how to take care of the one that he allows to suffer greatly. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar. That'd be the altar of God, folks. This isn't just any place in heaven. This is the altar of God. It like was before him, right? The souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for their testimony, which they held. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge the and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a while longer. Now we know in heaven... Even right now, who my father is going to be with the Lord and other people is going to be with the Lord. We know that when you go to heaven, the Bible says that we're going to be working for God. I mean, we serve him now, we're going to serve him in heaven. Yet these people here, hey, go rest a little while longer, which meant they were already there resting, number one. They got to hang out underneath the altar of God. Not everybody that dies and gets to go to heaven gets to hang out underneath the altar of God. And not everyone gets a white robe and told to rest a little longer. So bless God. Again, not everyone that dies before God's judgment on earth, before the resurrection, gets to hang out under and rest under God's altar. Not and rest a little longer. They weren't working. God said, You've done enough. I'm fair. You suffered for me great enough. Hey, get under there. Go rest. Go, go take a nap. Go sleep. Go chill back. Get your iced tea. I, angels, get in there and serve. Because you know what? God is fair. Uh, praise God. He knows how to tremendously bless and take care of those he may allow to suffer and be abased, just as he did with the Hellenists here. Isn't that an awesome first point? I mean, just, just, just that first point that we got to look at from these, these, these abased people were called Christians for, for the first time in Antioch. 
that was just the first huge awesome concept that God showed me in this last section of this last verse. I said there were two, right? Well, let's look at the other two. The other major concept God showed me there uh, of them being called Christians. Number two, the honor of them being called that's important. I'll bring that up in a moment. They were called Christians before anyone else, even the original disciples, because of the fact that they were a certain way. They did something. They were honored, but because they put the work into it. What does the title Christian mean? The title Christian means follower of Christ. Just biblically, that's what the, that's what the definition is. A Christian is a follower of Christ, which means that Although this whole church of a base cast off hell, this was only one year old, these, uh, the way that these new Christians, Saul and Barnabas, lived for Christ and how they spoke of their Lord and how they honored their Lord caused or compelled those in Antioch around them that were not saved, the heathens that were there, to call them Christians. Or you could say that those there that weren't saved uh, saw these, that these brand new disciples were followers of Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah, and so gave them the glorious title. Look at how the sentence in that verse is written. They did not proclaim themselves to be Christians, they didn't even claim each other to be Christians. Look at the last part. Look at the first part of that sentence again. That very last sentence, verse 26. And the disciples were first called Christians. Did you, did you notice that? It didn't say that they called themselves Christians. It didn't say that they gave themselves that title. It says that they were called Christians, which means excuse me, that these new converts didn't go around proclaiming themselves to be Christians. The people saw the evidence that they followed Jesus Christ and they saw their love for God and Jesus Christ and they called them Christians and gave them the title because they earned it. Think here, this is a huge point and we're, 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 we're springboarding off of this. They weren't self-proclaimed Christians. They earned the title because they lived out the title, right? Uh, there was this one guy one time at my job that I work for at his home improvement store that, uh, you know, when I live, I live out who I am in Jesus Christ. And that's just what I do because God's changed me and I love God and I know what he recognized what he did for me. And so I, I honor him with the way I live, my speech, you know, that's what the Bible says that a Christian should do. And so I remember we worked together for a, a whole spring season. And uh, at one point it was getting to be winter and I wasn't as busy where I was and they had kind of closed down my section or a little bit at the, or the register at my section because I was a cashier. And I kind of went out on the floor and I said, hey, Ed, you know, help this guy out here. So as I was out there helping this guy, of course, you know, wherever I am, I'm always going to try to bring up, you know, spring up or bring up, you know, hell yeah, man, praise God. Oh yeah, God's good to me. And, you know, praise the Lord. You know, Jesus done a lot for me. Oh, you know, thanks to Jesus. I'm, you know, everything's great. You know, da, 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 you know, my, my speech is seasoned with grace. You know, I love people. And so we first started working together and and as we're working together, I, of course, start to throw out a little couple teasers, you know, trying, I was, we got some time together. I said, Lord, this is a divine appointment. I said, I'm not going to let this divine appointment go to waste. I'm going to witness to this guy for you. And so I started to, hey, man, well, you know, well, well, what, you know, do you believe in God? Or, you know, well, what's your belief about God? You know, I love Jesus, but, you know, well, what's your belief about God? You know, da, da, da. and he's like, you know, I generally never let anybody talk to me about faith or Christianity or Jesus Christ, but you and he says something that floored me. He, he said something exactly like what happened to these Hellenists in Antioch. He, he said something along the lines of, but I'll let you talk to me because I know by what I observed of you that you're not fake. You really believe what you say. So you know what? I'll talk about it with you. You really live what you believe. And I've seen that in the way you live. Most people that come to me and they want to talk about Jesus or the Bible, I don't see their lives the same. They, 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 don't, they don't live what they believe, but then they want to try to proselytize me and this, that, and the other thing. And, and, and that's what I got. I was, he basically called me uh, who I was 
by not because I was like, oh, well, I'm a Christian. Well, let me talk to you about Jesus. He said, I know that you believe totally. What I don't believe what you do, but I know you do. So let's talk. What an honor. It happened to me just recently at my job, This just within the last month or so. I was working with a guy and we were talking and I was bringing up Jesus and we were ta- I was talking about Jesus and the way to heaven and, and this, that, and the other thing. And we got on to, you know, well, and I asked him, I said, well, do you know, you know, you're all right with God? And he goes, well, no, I, I don't really know. You know, I, I don't really know. I said, I said, but what about me? I said, am I okay with God? He goes, well, yeah. I said, well, I, and, and now keep in mind. Never once did I ever tell this guy I was a Christian or, or, oh, oh, uh, you know, Jesus is my Lord. You know, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. You know, I never had to say that once. But I said, well, what about me? I said, do you think I'm, you know, in good with God right now? Do you think I'm good? Well, yeah. I said, well, how do you know? He goes, well, because. And that because meant because I see it in your life. I know that you are okay with God. I said, well, don't you want to be okay with God too? He's like, well, you know, my life right now. And, and, and unfortunately, he wasn't ready right then and there, but God planted lots of seeds. But my point is here is that he gave me the same honor as another fellow that I knew years back at, at my job that basically I didn't have to proclaim myself anything. They knew who was my Lord. They knew whom I loved just by the way that I live my life and the words that came out of my mouth. I was very honored. I'm still very honored. I can only imagine how these early and brand new Christian Hellenists who were cast-offs and outcasts of the holy Jewish Jews, right? Right? Holy, holy, unquote, unquote, right? What a joke. They really weren't holy, but they were all this high and mighty. I'm a Jew, so I'm special, right? how they were treated by these people. I can imagine the honor that this gave them. What applied in both of these situations, as well as other times in my life, that this has happened to me, as well as as what happened with the Hellenists, is what I believe that St. Francis of Assisi said years and years ago. He, He made a statement, I believe it was him, and he said this. He said, Preach the gospel at all times, but when all else fails use words. Do you know what that means? That means that your lifestyle as a Christian should be so wonderfully lived for Jesus Christ and and, and grace and his mercy and his love should be overflowing within you that those around you should see it and that alone should be a huge witness and a testimony of that you love God and that God loves you. And that, that, that's a huge testimony of, hey, if God saved me, look what he could do for you. But then once that's done or once that runs out in a sense, then tell them about Jesus. And that's really what my example was with me and example was here with these Hellenists. You see, even though I had never told either one of these people, as well as others that's happened to me too, that I was a Christian, they knew it by the ways in which I lived my life, did my work at my job, and the words that often came out of my mouth that proclaim Jesus Christ and the thing and he, he and the things that he and God have done for me and, and so on and so forth, which is the same for these cast off or outcast new Christian Hellenists who were being... Uh, honored by being called Christian, being called Christians. They weren't self-proclaiming themselves. They were being called Christians. As remember, they didn't call themselves, right? And getting back to our one sentence or our one verse that we're studying today, we should look at why the people around this church and these new converts of Christ were compelled to give them this nickname of Christian. I mean, what would compel somebody? What would they see that would compel them to give them the name of Christian? Well, first off, 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Apostle Paul, who is the Saul in our scripture right now, writes this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. When you're truthfully really saved, what happens is God takes his Holy Spirit. When you come to the step of, when you turn to the Lord, 
with all your heart, which is repentance, true repentance, not turning away from your sin, but when you turn to the Lord with all your heart and you turn your eyes up to God and you say, you know what, it's your way and not mine, what happens is, is God sees that. He sees that, 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 that moment of, of submission, that moment of surrender, and he says, my child, boy, I've been waiting for you. And he, and he takes his Holy Spirit, which is the part of the Trinity of God, and he sticks his Holy Spirit in somebody, and he says, now be born again. And what happens is, is the person who, who is, is, has been seeking the Lord or, or, or has that time of surrender and submittance unto the Lord, they become a new creature because God's Holy Spirit is now living within them. That they, they basically, they're the old man that they lived in, the old man that I was, that people can't even believe when I tell them the old man that I was now, the old man kind of like dies off and this new guy, this new woman, this new kid kind of comes out and then now this new person starts loving people and, and starts having this desire to do these things that we're going to talk about in a little bit. And of course, these Christians, these, these outcast Hellenists who were first called Christians in Antioch, this had happened to them. So what differences would they have noticed of this new person that they were so compelled to grant them this honor of calling them Christians for the first time? I, I just still can't get over the fact that these outcasts of base people were the first ones to get the glorious name of Christian. I, I know that was my previous point, but I, I'm just sorry. It just, it just so blows me away that God didn't allow that to happen to, to, the, to the, even the original apostles. That blows me away. What a glorious thing. Anyway, I just, back to our second point here. I just, I, I'm still kind of stuck on that first point a little bit. What differences that had they noticed in order to give these guys the title of Christians? Well, again, what is the title of a Christian according to the Bible? Now, not according to my own definition, right? But it's someone who patterns the ways of their lives after the ways that Jesus Christ lived and taught. Uh, so what kind of things would have characterized them after they were converted, after they became this new creature, this new creation in Christ Jesus? Well, the ways and teachings of Jesus Christ, of course, which would have been some of these ways, right? To, to know a truly born-again person, they're going to do things like this. And God's given me kind of a neat little list from the Bible, things that the Bible speaks about, things that, you know, basically new converts, people that are truly saved, would be doing, right? The things of God, number one, and His Word will become important to you. If you're really truly saved, or you're even seeking God, the ways and the things of God will become important to you, number one. That, that's, that's where it starts, right? Because if nothing's important to you, you don't do nothing about it. Right? If something's not important to you, well, then you don't read it, you don't look at it, you don't study it, you don't, right? That's, that's the most important thing. Number two, they would have started to ingest, devour, or read God's word for themselves. They would have basically gone back to the Old Testament to find out about Jesus and the prophecies because the New Testament, remember, at this point, hadn't even come out yet. It hadn't even been written, but they would have been looking to God's word and going, all right, God. You know, all right, I want to learn about you. I believed in this Jesus, but now who are you? You know, I mean, really, I want to know about you. Uh, number three, they would have started having a prayer life. They would have started praying to God and praying to Jesus Christ. They would have been praying people, praying as they would have been taught. One of the first things they were probably taught is here's how we go to God. We go to God, 1 Timothy 2.5. We go to God through Jesus Christ alone. For that's the, what the Bible says. He's the only mediator between God and man. Unlike me going to a brother or a sister in the Lord, going to Jesus Christ to go to God is a little different, right? We, we can ask one another for prayer. Hey, brother, can you pray for me about, you know, this ailment I'm having or about this job situation I'm having? But to actually pray to God, you have to go, the Bible says, 1 Timothy 2, 5, that you have to go through Jesus Christ only. So they would have been doing that. Number four they would have started going to church. These were not churchgoers, right? They were outcast Jews. They probably weren't even welcome in the temple. They would have started going to the new Christian church, the Christian church that was planted in Acts 11 by Saul and Barnabas, right, in our rays of sunshine. And number five, they would have been praying for others. They would have been praying with others. If they saw others had a problem, hey, you know, um, 
you know, if you don't mind, could I, could I pray for your situation? My, my God, Jesus Christ, he, he just saved me, and I know he's real and he's powerful. Can I pray for you about your situation? They would have been praying people for others, right? Number six, uh, actually, they would have been wanting to talk about Jesus Christ and the things about of Jesus Christ with each other. They would have loved to get into conversations and have talks about what God's Word says and what they learned or what God was showing them in their conscience and their, by His Holy Spirit that day, right? Number seven, they would have been reaching out to others, going out of their way, not just, you know, random, but going out of their way to talk to them about Jesus Christ, right? Mark 16, 15, evangelism. And they would have been telling them of the great love and salvation that's in Christ alone. John 14, 6, that although, although those things weren't written yet, the disciples, Paul, Barnabas, would have been teaching them these things. Number eight, once they, taught, once they were taught well, they would have wanted to teach the Bible or learn the Bible more and teach the Bible more. Number nine, they would have learned one important thing of God. They would have learned how to love and forgive others, which I'm sure they had a long road of doing as they were very unloved and unwanted people. But they would have learned how to be loving as they found the God, they realized the God of all heaven and earth accepted them and loved them, right? They would have spoken to others with kindness learning the ways that Jesus Christ dealt with people. They would have learned to be generous with others and help others. Number 12, they would have uh, been accepting the plain teachings of the Bible, things like there being a literal hell, a literal Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ being the only begotten Son and the only way to heaven, God's Word being flawless and inspired by God Himself, meaning that if God's Word says it, no matter what I believe, it's true. Right? If God's word says it and I'm wrong because I think something else, well, then God's word's right. I'm wrong. They would have been learning that. They would have been believing all of God's word and not just some of it. Number 13, they would have learned, as the Apostle Paul wrote later on, even though he saw now, they would have been learning for God taught him this, for Jesus Christ taught him this. Colossians 3.8 and Ephesians 4.29, let no filthy language nor corrupt word proceed out of their mouths. What God taught the Apostle Paul, which would be, don't don't uh, swear, don't use foul language, swear language. Uh, and that would include, they, uh, for us even today, them then would have been no plays, no musicals, no music they would have been listening to that should have had that profane and evil, uh, terrible language that's not doesn't make God please. They would have, not us today, no movies, no music, no, no nothing, no festivals that have, that have, evil debauchery and and sin and 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 all any of these things that we're reading on they would no i'm not going to do those things right and number 14 most of all they would have been trusting completely in jesus christ for what he did for them and not trying to work their way to salvation Com completely putting their lives in his hands these things would have would have classified exactly the way they would have lived apart from the ways that they were living before making a point they would have been doing to live the ways that jesus christ lived and do the things which he taught his apostles how to live and how to believe first john 2 6 he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he jesus walked that's it, right? And on top of all those things, one more thing that I didn't mention, one more thing would have been super important to them, probably even as much as the other things, right? Especially something that they would have had to make a change about, some things that they would have had to stop doing, which would have been holiness. They would have had to start living a holy life. They would have stopped living the willful, sinful ways that they had before they were in Christ, and they would have started living, living the holy ways which God says in His Word that His children should live. Why? Well, Jesus Christ both lived the lifestyle of holiness according to what God gave Him in His Old Testament Word, and He also gave, him, gave us and gave them new ways to look at the Old Testament Word of God that, weren't even, that were even deeper as far as holiness goes. Like, for instance, God in His Old Testament said, don't commit adultery. Well, Jesus said, even if you look at a woman, you committed adultery. So don't even look at a woman to think about her in a sexual way. And He taught those that followed Him to strive to live the ways that He lived 
also. Exactly like the great apostle Peter taught Christians, giving them command from Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. You see the be holy in all your conduct, that makes this verse, these two verses, a command. Not I become holy, and that's true too. When somebody gets saved, God sees them as holy. But this is also a command to live a certain way. Be holy in all your conduct means that, hey, this is something we're supposed to strive to do now. Stop living the ways of sin. Live in the ways of holiness. And this, for this is the way Jesus Christ lived. And this is the way he expects us to follow him. And, and how did Christ's apostles understand holiness from Jesus Christ's perspective? How did he say to live and holiness. This is key. Apostle Paul, whom, whom is Saul in today's text, just some of the key sins that, that he wants Christians to stay away from. These key things which these guys in Antioch would have been probably willfully doing. This would have been their ways of life, for they were unsaved and in the world, and they would have been doing all these things but yet here we got, they get saved and they would have turned away from, let's say, the whole section of 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Paul says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, that's important, neither fornicators, that would be sex outside of marriage, nor idolaters, that would be giving anything a ruling place in your heart. And especially the whole Greek world had a terrible time with idols. Diana and all kinds of wooden idols and little statues that they'd worship. Today it would be money. Today it would be cars. Today it would be things. It'd be, it'd be toys. It would be, you name it, if things that we could give a place in our heart to those things which we'd serve, our jobs. And they would have had to stop, they would have stopped living as idolaters and they would have lived to worship the one true God, Jesus Christ, and not had any other place for anything else in their hearts. They, he said, nor adulterers, and that would be sex with any other person while you're married. He, he said, now, no homosexuals or sodomites, that'd be no men to men or no woman to woman sexual or marital relations. And that means that they, they that were homosexuals or, or, or lesbians, they would have had to turn away from that. They, by turning to Christ, they gave all of that up. They, they gave it all up. They gave it all away. He said, no drunkards. That'd be alcoholics, home, those who were basically married to the bottle. No revilers. Or, or this is abusive language toward others. Uh, under this would be people who swear and use foul language maliciously against people to, to speak of how they did something that they didn't like. Right? We've all been there, right? Somebody cut you off on the highway. What's the first thing you want to do? Oh, you want to... Right? That's the first thing. Well, that's the reviler. And, of course, they would, have, they would have been doing that. Paul says, if you do that, you're not going to heaven, right? They would have, to, they would have been, oh, I'm, not, I'm following Jesus, right? Uh, he said, no extortioners. This is someone who maliciously, with evil intent or deceitfully, takes money from people. And he says that none of these things, if you do these things, will inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says, verse 11. And, and this kind of equates out to what would have happened to these Hellenist Christians, these new converts in Antioch, right? He says, and such were some of you. That, that past tense, right? That's past tense. That means that they were living in those evil ways. But now since they came to Christ, since they were new converts, since they decided that the cross before me, the world behind me, they said no more of that. We follow Jesus now. And the people around them were like, wow. These guys like turned into holy rollers. Oh my gosh. Well, and I'm sure they were being asked, well, how come you don't go do that anymore? How come you don't go do that? Hey man, Jesus Christ is the way. And he says, no. And you know what? He saved us and he accepted us when the whole world outcast us. And, and you know what? We're, we love Jesus Christ, man. Wow, you Christians. Wow, you, you followers of Jesus Christ. And the people of the land may have meant it derogatorily, but yet to them, to me, this is a glorious honor because, listen, that meant that they were living the lifestyle that Jesus Christ lived, right? And, and, and they were living in Jesus Christ's ways in such a way that the unbelievers around them in Antioch were compelled to bestow upon them the beautiful name of Christian, which means follower of Christ. Isn't that just so cool? Wow! Just one verse, just one sentence 
of one verse. Today, if you would consider yourself a true Christian, saved and on your way to heaven today, do you have to tell people that you are? Or do they witness it by your lifestyle and consider you a Christian without you even having to say one word? If you consider yourself a true Christian today, does your lifestyle speak of it? Does your lifestyle speak of it via the identifiers that I listed just minutes ago in this message? Uh, today, unfortunately, and this, does, and this has made me cry, uh, unfortunately, the name Christian does not mean today what it meant back then when these early converts were, were first given that honor of being called Christians, as everyone, whether they believe in a biblical Jesus or, or they don't even believe in Jesus at all, as, as there's a new group of people, believe it or not, that, that, that have just been deemed uh, atheist Christian or Christian atheist, as if there is such a thing that exists anyway, yet there is some people that believe themselves an atheist but a Christian also. So, But see, it doesn't matter today that the word Christian, it, it, people just use it because uh, it's just like a buzzword, and, and that makes me sad. Because that is not what the early apostles, these outcast Hellenists, that is not why they were given that name, Christian. They were given that name because the people saw these guys are radical for this guy named Jesus Christ. And wow, we gotta, we're going to call them followers of Jesus Christ because wow, I just can't believe how they live. right? But, but, but being very honest here, getting back, as honest as I can be, please listen to me. Many whom go out of their way in, in the past and even today to tell me that they're Christians do not exhibit the definition of the word according to the biblical standards of how Jesus Christ lived and what he taught. Remember that definition again, a Christian is a follower of Christ. And then this is one example. There's this fellow I work with, and his wife died some years back. And, and so he remarried his wife's best friend. I don't know how well that's working, but I was asking him about it, uh, who he had to bring from another country, as it was, because he didn't even really know her super, super personally. And so I was asking him how that was all going, and we were talking for a little bit, and this was just this last week, as, you know, this is Sunday. This is probably like Monday or Tuesday. And, and at one point in the conversation, I told him that I didn't think that if... If what happened to him happened to me, like if, if my wife were to die today, I don't know that I could ever remarry. I mean, it, marriage is such a, it, it's such a, it, it's such a complicated process and love. And, I, and I've been with my wife now almost 23 years. And could I really love someone the same way? And, and I said, man, I just don't think I'd be able to remarry if my wife died. And then he said to me, but Ed, I was just so lonely. I have no kids. And then he goes on to tell me, you know, all these things. And, and I said something like this, dude, I understand, but I'm never lonely. I have Jesus and he's always with me. I mean, that's just the way it is. I'm never lonely. I never feel like, oh God, where are you? Because I know Christ is with me and I trust him and he's my Lord. And that's just the way it is. And, and his response nearly knocked me to the floor off the couch where I was sitting figuratively, of course, as he replied, I have Jesus too, but, and then he goes on to give me all these things. Well, why did his response nearly figuratively knock me to the floor? Well, this man's life does not, and let me ask, say that again, this man's life does not reflect how Jesus Christ lived or how he taught according to the identifiers that I gave from the Bible just a little bit ago. He uses profanity. He says, uh, the Bible says, don't let unclean speech come out of your mouth. His biblical views are extremely not biblical. He believes in abortion, even though the Bible says don't murder. He doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, John 14, 6. He doesn't think that the Bible is the inspired word of God, 2 Timothy 3, 16. He doesn't even read the Bible. He lives for the world, and he's extremely liberal, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Yet... Even though his life and his actions and his words and his mind and his lifestyle does not reflect Jesus Christ's life or his teaching, he still told me, I have Jesus also. Wow! How could... What? Sadly for him and others I've met and witnessed over the years whom are in the same boat, the Bible says that they're deceived. 
and I pray for them daily. How can I say that, Pastor? It's judging people. The Bible says use righteous judgment. And righteous judgment tells me that I listen to Scripture, not people. Here's why I say he's deceived. Jesus Christ, Luke 6.46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Why do you say you're mine, but you don't live like me? You don't do the things which I taught. Don't do that. 1 John 2, 3 through 5. This is the probably the hardest hitting scripture in all the Bible. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Yes, Jesus Christ gave commandments. Just read the book of Acts. He gave commandments as he was right before he was out of here. And verse 4, he who says, listen to this, I know him and does not keep his commandments or his ways, the ways he taught, is a liar. Ouch. Ouch. He's a liar. And then John goes on to say, and the truth is not in him. He just said, those who don't live the way Jesus Christ said to live, but still say that they're his. John just called you a liar, if that's you. Wow. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, the ways he taught to live, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. And of course, that was, of course, if we're living for him, if we're obeying his words, if we're doing the things which he said to do. And I did a sermon on this actual verse, this soul section, and it's called The Test of Knowing Him. You could look it up if you're interested. And Anyway, this fella and the majority I've met over the years and seen on TV and, and, and seen on football fields and you name it, profess Jesus Christ as their Lord, yet they do not live or act the ways in which Jesus Christ lived and taught. And again, John just said that because of this, they're liars. And I'll add that they're deceived. If I told you today, and this is not me, but I'm just giving you a little parable. If I told you today that I was a professional football player, yet I was four foot, two inches tall, I weighed 85 pounds, and I ran the 40-yard dash in eight seconds, I can't even, and, and I can't even tell you one position on the team. I, I, I wouldn't know what a tackle was, or a lineman was, or a kicker was, or a quarterback. And I didn't even agree that a football is what a football looks like. And I demanded that it's a baseball. No, football's not a, it's a baseball. It's white, and it's round, and it's little. You would think that I was absolutely out of my mind. I was a total liar, and I was totally deceived. And why? Why would you think that? But I'm telling you, I'm a professional football player. I promise. You'd laugh at me. And why? Because a professional football player would be much bigger, faster, heavier, and they would know the game of football inside and out. Yet, those who profess to know Jesus Christ and profess Him as their Lord, believing them to be saved and on, them, on their way to heaven, they don't look like or act like, and they don't even know the Bible because they don't even read the Bible. And they don't even know the basics of the Christian faith. I, I kid you not, several weeks ago, a month or so ago now, we were on McKinney Street, and I had a guy come up to me and ask me for some money, and he said that he was an ambassador for Jesus Christ. An ambassador for the well, what's an ambassador? An ambassador who knows more about anything that they're telling you than than than, than anybody else could know. Because they are they are like the flagship person that believes. And when I asked them some basic things about salvation, basic things about eternity, basic things about Jesus Christ, he couldn't answer me. And I gave him a very similar analogy, and his, he was speechless. Speechless. Why? Because I just pointed out that he was lying and deceiving himself. And he didn't really want to believe it. He, he, did, he argued with me a little bit, but he, I kept coming back to the same point. I said, sir, you can't even tell me the basics. You, you, you don't even know any of you're, you're the You're the leader. You're like the, the a main one that goes out there. You're an ambassador. Well, 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 folks, people are deceived. And, and, and this is most, right, that I meet that profess themselves to be Christians. This is the most. 
that say they love Jesus Christ, but don't live or do or believe the things that Jesus Christ taught. And, and sadly, please listen to how Jesus Christ talks to this person in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 21 through 23. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. That means that only people that call Jesus Lord, they're only going to be Christians. No Buddhists or Hindu or atheist or agnostic or Satanists or Muslim, they don't call Jesus Lord. Only those that believe themselves to be saved and born-again Christians say that Jesus is their Lord. But Jesus just said, Not all of them who say to me, Lord, Lord, shall go to heaven. But he who does, notice, he who does the will of my Father in heaven. It wasn't just their profession. It was the fact that they, their profession led to their lives being a certain way, doing the will of God, right? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? So they were even doing Christian things. And then I will declare that I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness or you who were in church every Sunday and every Wednesday and every Friday night and you knew every verse and you knew all of this and you knew all of that, yet when it came to your life, holiness, yeah, holiness, God loves me. Hey, he knows I'm a sinner. He knows, you know, I make lots of mistakes. He loves me anyway. Jesus said, get out of here. You practice sin. Uh, you may know all the things that I want, but you're not doing them. And you may know all the things I want, but you live a contrary, unholy life in spite of what comes out of your mouth. Ladies and gentlemen, the world has a pandemic of those like my coworker. So many believe they, uh, they belong to Jesus Christ, yet don't know or strive or, or know how to live the ways in which he lived or, or live and do the things in which he taught. And again, 1 John 2, 5 and 6. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he, Jesus Christ, walked. What about you who are listening to me today out there? Are you truly a real Christian today? Or do you think that you're a real Christian today? What's the test of knowing that? Are you a true Christian and people around you know it? Because you live the ways the Bible says that Jesus Christ lived and you live the ways in which he taught. You abstain from sin. Practice abstaining from sin. Not that you don't make any mistakes ever. When I'm not talking about per, uh, perfection and holiness here. I'm not talking about the doctrine that they've, people have come up with. It, it's, it's, it's perfect holiness. You have never sinned, never once. I'm talking about you're striving to abstain from sin in an everyday life. You're striving to live holy as God and Jesus Christ said the things that you're supposed to live uh, per the Bible, not per your goodness or your whatever, what you think. Are you reading your Bible? Are you going to church and involved in church, praying to God through Jesus Christ alone, telling others of Christ, uh, loving to talk about Jesus Christ with others, living your life the way Jesus Christ lived his life and living the ways he taught or... Do you profess to be a Christian and don't live your life like Jesus Christ did and how he taught according to the Bible? Living the sinful ways that the Bible says no to as a practice, as a way of life, because, you know, well, God loves me anyway. Ouch. Right? Not, not reading your Bible, not praying to God through Jesus Christ alone, not going to church, and if you do, not getting involved in church, never telling others about Jesus Christ, not living the way Jesus Christ lived, and not living the ways in which he taught according to God's word, the Bible. Which one are you? If you're the second, and the Bible says that you're deceived, and you're lying to yourself, and it's not me, it's the Bible, and that you don't really know him, and if you don't really know him, his sacrifice doesn't account for you, so you're not going to go to heaven. If that's you, God desires you to repent and be converted. I talked about this a little bit earlier, but how do we do this? Oh, I just have a belief in Jesus. Well, even the demons believe. Oh, I'm a good person. Jesus says, well, there's no one good but God. So there's no way other than what, what Jesus said, Matthew 16, 24, 25. He said this, if anyone desires to follow after me, let him deny himself. It's again that time, as I spoke on earlier, where you come and you lay down your life. 
You, you submit your life. You, you surrender your life to Jesus. And you say, here, Lord, I've screwed it up. Wow, Lord, I, I didn't even know it till this pastor Ed told me today the Bible that I, I was deceived. God, I'm sorry. Here, take my life. You know what? Jesus, be my Lord. And then you actually, in your heart of hearts, repent and you turn your heart to the Lord and stop being your own Lord. For, for that's the sin of which all others follow. Just because you're an alcoholic, yeah, you're going to go to hell if you're an alcoholic or if you're an idolater or if you're a, a homosexual or you're a transgender or whatever. Yeah, yes, you're going to hell. But that's not actually the sin that's going to send you to hell. The sin that's going to send you to hell is your rebellion against God because he says, Jesus is my way to heaven. He's the Lord. If he's not your Lord, his sacrifice is not good for you. So if you're your own Lord, that's what's going to send you to hell, not you doing drugs or alcohol or being a homosexual. It's because your life is not submitted unto Jesus Christ. Because once your life becomes submitted to Jesus Christ, those things, as I was a very wicked and adulterous man and very idolatrous, those things faded away. And I became a new creature in Christ Jesus where those things aren't part of my life anymore. And now it's Jesus Christ. I've denied myself. And then I decided, as he says here, that goes on, then, now, after I've submitted and surrendered and, and, and bent my knees to him, made him my Lord, then he says, take up your cross. That means now, live the holy ways that God said to live. Because what, what, did, what, what did people do when they went to the cross in Jesus' day? Well, they died in their flesh. And that's what the Bible says, after you become a surrendered unto him. Now, now die to that sinful flesh. And then he said, and then to follow and he said, come and follow me. What does that mean? To do the things which he taught. For he goes on in verse 25 to say, whoever loses life for my sake will find it. Would you please come to Jesus Christ today? Would you please fall on your knees today? Would you please cry out to Jesus Christ today? And would you please tell him you're sorry for the ways and your sin and the worst sin of all, you as your own Lord. That's the sin that's sending everybody that's not saved to hell. Would you please give him yourself? The cross before me, the world behind me. Jesus Christ, I need you. Please save me. I don't want to be this way anymore. Please be my Lord. Cry out to him today and give him yourself and your will, and your heart, and everything about yourself before it's too late, please. And then you won't be a liar. Then you won't be deceived because then your life will change and then your life will become about Jesus Christ instead of just having Jesus Christ as another thought in your mind like the sun and the moon and my red car and you know my blue house, those things I all know. But those things don't change the person that I am like a submitted will and a surrendered heart, and a surrendered life is will to Jesus Christ's will. So please, turn to him today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for uh, giving us this message, Lord God. Thank you. I, wow, Lord God, one verse, Lord God, and I know I've gone over an hour. I'm so sorry, God. I, I, Father God, I, help me to stay under an hour, Lord. You know I try. Father God, I just pray, Lord God, if whoever's listening out there, Lord, I just pray. God in heaven, that they would examine their life and examine their ways, Lord God. And they would look at themselves and instead of being deceived, Lord God, and they would look at themselves and say, wow, do I really live my life like Jesus Christ lived and taught? And Lord, if they see that they don't, Lord, I pray that you bring them to repentance by even these words, Lord God, because they're not my words, they're your words, God in heaven. So I pray, dear God, that, you, that they would turn to you that you commanded all men everywhere now to turn to Jesus Christ and to repent. Father God, I pray that they would. Please, Lord God. And I pray that those of us that are, Lord God, I pray that we would continue, Lord God, to walk a daily life of repentance and, and, and following after you and denying ourselves and, and picking up our crosses and following after you, Lord God, because Jesus said, and Lord, you know, you said in Matthew 24, it's only those that endure to the end that should be saved. God, help us. 
Lord God, to endure. We love you, and we praise you, and we thank you. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.